0: Hello, all, and welcome to the Gestalt IT rundown, your weekly look at the IT news of the week. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino, editor with Gestalt IT. Joining me from across the interstate is the one, the only, the cloud man himself, Ken Nalbone. Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Rich. It's uh, it's been a big week. Uh, we had you know we had events going on. We we you know Gestalt IT was in places. We were see- we were seeing the news as it was happening. But before we get to that, it's so jam packed. We have to rush through a couple things with little items. I like to call news or not. Nah. You ready, Ken? I am ready. All right. Uh, the first news or not item: Mark Zuckerberg published an op-ed in the Washington Post calling for internet regulation across four areas. Harmful content, election integrity, privacy, and data portability. Interestingly, the Washington Post doesn't use the Oxford comma. In the piece, he suggests creating third-party bodies to set standards governing the distribution of harmful content and having companies graded against those standards. So maybe taking a little liability off Facebook there. Uh, Privacy regulation in the mold of the EU's GDPR and support for the data transfer project for standardizing data portability. Is Zuck turning a new leaf here, or is he just passing the buck on to regulators to take some of the heat off Facebook? News or not, nah? I
1: say nah. I, I say uh, Zuck and Facebook are trying to win back the trust of public with some kind of announcement, seemingly on a weekly basis this, these days. <laughs> uh, but they've got a long road ahead of
0: them, right? So yeah, good luck yeah. with that. They've they've spent a couple of years burning that bridge. It's going to take more than uh, a couple of days rebuilding it. hmm all right, a pen tester tipped ZDNet that over 13,500 iSCSI clusters were listed on the Internet-Connected Device Search Engine Shodan that didn't have any authentication enabled. So you could just go ahead and just get in there. Those ports were totally open. ZDNet found that they belonged to a YMCA branch, a Russian government agency, universities, and many, many, many private companies in just their small sampling uh, to kind of verify this. At this point, is misconfiguration authentication news or not, Ken?
1: Misconfiguration of authentication, I guess, nah. But to me, leaving something like iSCSI open to the internet in the first place is. I I typically, when I was a sysadmin, would never put iSCSI on a routable network if I could hand it, much less one that was accessible v- via the internet. What are people thinking doing this? I have no idea. <laughs>
0: It, it does uh, it does seem a little baffling um, but stranger things have happened less baffling though is a report from IDC on uh, hyperconverged infrastructure that shows that Dell EMC led the market for branded systems with 28 point six percent of market share in q4 with VMware on top of software uh, the software market with a 38 point one percent of the market share so a little bit more dominant there uh, the you know kind of the big name I think a lot of people think of at least maybe in our audience with hyperconverged Nutanix was number two in both categories uh, but with the slowest revenue growth in both uh in the top three of both categories and notably seeing market share fall where the other two in the top three uh, we're seeing uh uh, notable growth Nutanix not growing as fast in HCI news or not Ken
1: kind of yeah uh because they were one of the first players in the space it was kind of them SimpliVity and Scale Computing I would say were the first three big entrants all pretty much at the same time growth in this market in general though is not news at all uh because it's kind of expected, right? It's It's been a rocket ship for the past few years, uh, HCI in general, and when it comes to the whole converged infrastructure thing. And um, it, you know, it's part of the whole story of IT departments wanting to focus less on day-to-day operations and more on solving business problems and babysitting infrastructure doesn't do that. So yes, I would like my converged infrastructure or hyper-converged infrastructure to take a lot of the work out of my hands. You know, regardless of what happens in Nutanix, I think think we'll still see growth in this space, but they've got some work to basically reclaim the, their top status that they had at
0: one point. Yeah, the, the, on the software side, it wasn't quite as dire. I think they were seeing 50% growth compared to like 65, 70% growth um, from VMware. Um, but the big thing on the branded systems was, you know, they were seeing 20% revenue growth, I want to say, whereas uh, Dell EMC was like 80%. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, and so like really maintaining that lead position and HPE in number three was also seeing like mid 60s uh, revenue growth on the year. So, so interesting numbers there. Uh, definitely be keeping an eye on that for next quarter. All right. uh, Something else to keep an eye on. Uh, You may have uh, had a missed flight or maybe a delayed flight on Monday as hundreds of flights were delayed or canceled due to the crash of a SAS flight management platform, AeroData. Although only uh, about uh, out for about 40 minutes, this crash caused over 600 delays on Southwest alone with a lot of, uh, excuse me, commuter airlines affected as well. AeroData is a family owned business with a website last updated in 2009 with a otherwise almost non-existent profile. Trusting flights with software from a website that says it's about to upgrade to Silverlight soon—news or not here, Ken?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's news. Every time I hear about some kind of critical piece of infrastructure, whether it's private or public, that is based on woefully outdated IT, uh, I'm concerned. Um, you know, it, it's like you said—that their website hasn't been updated since 2009, and it claims that they're going to upgrade to a deprecated platform in Silverlight. Um, maybe it's time for regulators or somebody to take a look at this, Uh, you know, despite all the um, celebrations around next-generation cloud-native distributed Kubernetes microservices-based applications, we still have a lot of this going on. And, uh, you know, it's it's not good. So yeah, it's news to
0: me. All right. And our last news or not item, Linux developer Christopher Helwig and the Software Freedom Conservancy sued VMware back in 2015 for illegally distributing Linux code found in the VMware ESX hypervisor, but have decided not to appeal the case after being dismissed by the German Hamburg Higher Regional Court. So they had already taken it uh, one step in an appeal. The court had dismissed the case over failure by Helwig to assert the right of ownership over Linux code. VMware getting away with allegedly stealing open source code. News or not here, Ken?
1: I say nah, simply because we we also know that VMware is basically committed to removing all Linux code from the ESXi kernel in the future anyway. So even if it was an issue, it shouldn't be at some point. Okay.
0: <laughs> I, I I do think it's interesting. You know, this was noted back in two thousand six, and we're just mm-hmm. seeing a resolution. I guess a resolution of it now. Um, you know, I, I wonder. You know, well, this set a precedent. I guess would be the only concern I would have. But in this particular case, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a major issue for VMware going forward. Uh, kind of our big first discussion. So I want to talk about. I saw mm-hmm. this uh, come out Monday. Uh, wanted to make sure it wasn't April Fool's joke, just because. April first, the internet is a horrible place to be. Uh, but Cloudflare announced an update to their 1.1.1.1 app, which I always have to count on my fingers, make sure I get the proper amount of ones there. Uh, which now integrates a VPN called Warp. If you're not familiar with the app, it was a DNS resolver for you know your smartphone, uh, basically using Cloudflare's DNS, supposedly would speed up load times, be more private, that kind of stuff. Uh, Warp encrypts all internet traffic from the device to the uh, to the point that it hits Cloudflare's network and uses a Google-developed protocol called. Quick, which builds on UDP to offer improved reliability, replacing TCP, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, Cloudflare claims that uh, using Quick and routing traffic over their wide network would noticeably decrease page loads while offering improved security, kind of just building on what the app was already doing but With more of a VPN, you know, encrypted focus, uh, you can now join a waitlist for access to the uh, to warp in the app. And as of April 1st, with paid plans available for greater access coming soon, is this cloud effectively bridging the gap between kind of the WAN optimization/slash SD-WAN and more standard VPN offerings? Ken, this seemed really interesting. To me.
1: Um, I don't know if I'd go that far exactly. Granted, I'm not our resident networking nerd, he, he's out of town at the moment, and he'd probably be able to speak more intelligently about this topic. But, um, the fact that it's only on phones from the beginning is clearly not you know bridging a gap between enterprise and consumers because mm. enterprise needs far more than phones they need infrastructure and they need uh you know workstations and laptops to have uh, capabilities to access the, the the wan optimized link or the the um sd-wan type link i, I do think it's cool though and um i I'd, I'd like to try it out but again i i also got on that wait list i don't know what you're Weightless uh, waitlist number is, Rich, but mine is well over 370,000. Oh, wow. So I might be waiting a while.
0: 000, so Oh,
1: lucky you. I didn't yeah. sign up until today. So <laughs> that, that's my fault. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that they're talking about, you know, quick replacing TCP. Well, I mean, most VPN protocols, I believe, uh, have been based on something connectionless to begin with, you know, UDP, because the idea is the traffic that you're encapsulating, uh, it's, it's connection oriented itself. You don't need to double up on that kind of uh, protocol. Uh, so I think it's cool, um, but regardless, when your traffic hits the internet, regardless of what VPN you're using, then you're subject to the latencies and the transport protocols that will be used to connect to whatever endpoint, whatever service you're going to be using. So seeing the VPN itself sped up is cool. And I think that this might have teeth, but you know, at the end of the day, you're still subject to the unpredictability of the internet as soon as you leave it.
0: Yeah, and also, you know, always... You know, I think Cloudflare has a little bit of a place of a of a trusted company for the mm-hmm. most part. I know some people have had some issues with uh, content neutrality and and you know certain parties that they protect with their service or whatnot. Uh, but the always I, I always have my shields up a little bit whenever I hear free VPN, regardless of who <laughs> it's coming from, because right. it costs money to operate that. I don't know how they're making money. They're saying you know they're not selling your data to ISPs um, and that and that kind of stuff. I, I have no reason to to think that they would be lying about that for sure. sure. I, um, I
1: think it's just you know we're going to give you the free service and offer you know, offer you the opportunity to sign up for our better service when it doesn't quite meet your needs.
0: Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's well, a pretty I, popular know, model. I, I, I did have to. I, I do uh, use the the one dot one dot one dot one DNS resolver, mm-hmm. uh, but I do have it turned off, like when I'm at home and stuff like that, just because it does add a little bit of jankiness. Um, I've found at times. So I'm, I'm wondering how uh, if Warp will make that worse or a little bit better. So it'll be interesting. We'll have to wait and see. Something that's definitely worse and not better is uh, what security researchers published. Uh, they published a proof of concept code uh, late last week, demonstrating a flaw in the Mag magento e-commerce platform that's been present since version one yay Uh, using a sql injection vulnerability without authentication the flaw allows for passwords and username hashes to be downloaded so not the plain not anything in plain text it's still you know it's still hashed, um, but once cracked, could obviously lead uh, to a lot of mayhem. Presumably, in installing pay skimmers or something like that, and you'd have no way of knowing. The injection attack can be easily automated with security researchers, uh, which security researchers want makes the exploitation a matter of time, not necessarily, you know, if it's going to happen. A standalone and update patch are both available, but all previous versions of Magento are vulnerable. Adobe just launched their commerce cloud. They bought Magento, I believe, two years ago now, or maybe a year and a half ago, um, for, you know, a cool couple billion. Uh, So they just launched commerce cloud, which effectively offers Magento as a service. Is this the best advertisement for that, since presumably this would be updated right away? Or is this just a bad exploit? (laughs)
1: <laughs> what it is is convenient timing for Adobe right after the launch of uh the Magento service, I suppose. But I'm not necessarily uh you know suggesting some kind of conspiracy theory. I think it's probably coincidence. Um, you know, it's it's an, another week, another exploit, right? And it kind of underscores the fact that you know the constant patching and unplanned maintenance cycles that are the bane of many an IT admin or, or manager. So the idea of consuming Magento as a service and taking a lot of the load off of your operation staff is appealing right I think that's the case with just about anything, even if there's no security concerns there's always time and productivity lost to these kinds of um activities that don't add value, basically making sure that we're uh, you know up to date we're 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 safe from the bugs and the exploits it that's very important, but it doesn't necessarily add revenue to a business, so most people are trying to get away from it anyway so Sure, let's let's take a look at Magento's uh service platform or Adobe's Magento service platform so we don't have to worry about these kinds of things in one more area of our enterprise IT business anymore.
0: I am at least encouraged that you know the standalones out there so you know there there should be no reason you can't implement this right away you know i know there's big problems upgrading versions and that kind of stuff that can that can just you know kind of break back ends of businesses and stuff like that so having the standalone there is is really convenient but yeah i can only imagine how insanely frustrating this is where you know you you keep up on all your and you could still you, you know you keep up on everything you have good security protocol you know you're hashing your passwords and stuff like that and you can still get, just get blindsided by this. And it's been there the whole time. Like that's, that to me is the scariest part, right? That it's, Mm -hmm. it's literally been something that, could have been exploited.
1: So th- this has been released as a proof of concept, but is it available for like the bad guys yet? Basically, yeah, it's on, or...
0: it's on GitHub. Uh, I, was so, looking, I was looking uh, at the notes on GitHub.
1: So anybody who's vulnerable could be being attacked right now.
0: Yeah, and and it should be noted, like when it was published, the when they published the the exploit on GitHub, they had done disclosure to Adobe, and you know that's why the patches are available as as of the date of reporting on it. Um, so you know, please please install those patches, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Next up on the rundown here, Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins told uh, CRN that the company is on track to meet its promise of 30% of revenue coming from software and services over the next three years with networking subscriptions like those found in the Catalyst 9000 making up 65% of software revenues. 57% Fifty-seven percent of revenue still comes from switching and router hardware. So you know, the, it kind of the what you think of, I think, when a lot of people think of uh, Cisco. But the vast majority of Cisco's engineers are now working on software. I think it was eighty uh, percent in the report I was reading. Uh, will this shift in revenue eventually cause us to think of Cisco as a software company, Ken? And is this growth in subscriptions reflective of actual change, or is this like Cisco just saying we're going to sell subscription now, so you buy subscription now? And like <laughs> to me, to me, that wasn't as significant as. You know, overall, that kind of shift in revenue, right?
1: Yeah, and Cisco has been for a while trying to reposition themselves as a software company. I think they'd much rather have recurring revenue from you know subscriptions and, and things of that nature. The recurring revenue is more attractive because it's predictable. Whether or not your overall revenue increases, at least you kind of have an idea of what it will be. Uh, it only makes sense for the customer, their customers, if they know that you know they're no longer focusing on purchasing product. If for some reason Cisco has some kind of offering where. Yes, here's your hardware that came with your software subscription and, and your and your service. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the whole magento thing. Now operations are le- less of your concern and you just, you know, maintain this subscription or this contract with us and things will be taken care of. Otherwise, it's just another thing IT has to spend money on, which is not so attractive,
0: right? Yeah, and I, I do think it's interesting that, you know, we're we're seeing kind of two giants, uh enterprise and consumer. We're seeing Apple make the same push, you know, kind of mm-hmm. trying to divest from right. purely being a hardware company into getting into definitely getting into services heavy. So uh, I, I just thought that was an interesting uh, maybe parallel there. All right. And uh, finally, big uh, big event from Intel. They had their Data Centric Innovation Day 2019. We were actually there with the Tech Field Day exclusive. So you can check that out, uh, some of the like more detailed presentations at techfieldday.com. But if you haven't caught any of the announcements, there were a bunch. So let's get them covered here. Intel announced all of their data center things. Uh, first one was the second generation Xeon scalable processors, now with up to 56 cores, kind of academically, they're in a single. You know, single socket. Uh, we also had, uh, 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 excuse me. So you have up to 56 cores. The scalables now have Optane uh, DC support, Spectre hardware mitigations, and AVX512 modes for, you know, advanced machine learning stuff outside you know that you can, you're able to optimize for that and not have to use necessarily a GPU or something like that. Interestingly, these use the same microarchitecture as the last Xeons which is based on Skylake, although obviously there's been some kind, of, you know, there's been some minor tweaks here and there. Uh, there are also the there is also the official debut of data center persistent memory modules allowing for Optane installed in DIM slots providing for up to 6 terabytes of addressable storage class non-volatile memory. We also saw the first new product coming out of Intel's acquisition of Altera way back in 2015 for a cool $16 billion. I think people forget about that sometimes. Uh, Intel released Agilex, which is their new FPGA family, with 10-nanometer chips coming out in Q3. 10-nanometer, kind of a magic number for Intel there. These can offer 40 teraflops of DSP performance, and Intel sees them becoming increasingly relevant in mixed machine learning use cases. Uh, there was also the new 800-series, 100-gigabit Ethernet controller, and the Xeon D1600. A true system on a chip with eight Broadwell cores, 128 gigabytes of memory, uh, designed for you know kind of edge devices, mid-range storage routers, and the like. Ken, just a jam-packed announcement. What's it out?
1: (laughs) That's a lot of stuff, and all of it kind of cool in its own way, right? To me, the most impressive thing is the Optane persistent memory. I think that that will have the most lasting impact. I think that. In the long run, we're going to see basically new application architectures and major changes in the way infrastructure is designed in the years to come. Uh, all these other ones are certainly innovative and interesting, but that's the one that stands out for me for, for, for that simple reason. You know, what are we going to see? It's it's not going to replace uh, other storage like your uh, your SSDs, your 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 spinning disks if you're still using them for archival storage. But it adds something new and something to consider when designing applications that can m- make use of you know, near the same speeds as DRAM, but have persistence, really cool stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, right now, I think the, the big thing that stands out for a lot of people, I think reading this story is capacity, right? The ability mm-hmm. to, you know, to have that those six terabytes of memory, you can just dump your whole database in there, you get really great latency and all that kind of stuff. And and if you're not familiar with how uh, the Optane DC stuff works, basically, you have to still have like a regular one, at least one regular DIM of uh, DDR4, you know, whatever. I think it's, they support up to uh, DDR4 2933 or something like that megahertz, um, but you still need to have like uh, uh, like 128 gigabytes of that in there, and that basically serves as a buffer between the Optane and the system, right? So everything hits the the DRAM, the regular DRAM first, and then it's kind of processed back and forth to the Optane stuff, um, and, and I think that capacity really is a, is a huge story. But yeah, like you were saying, having the long range integration of non-volatile stuff, again, we're only just starting to see the beginning of how we conceive of that, because that's a fundamental shift in, I I guess it's not a fundamental shift, it's actually, uh, I think uh, Stephen Foskett uh, pointed this out in a piece that we published on Gestalt IT that this is actually a shift back to the very earliest days of computing when we had, when memory wasn't, memory doesn't by nature have to be volatile, right? Mm. Um, The earliest uh, memories out there um, when we're talking about like Univac and stuff like that uh, were persistent, right? And it was only when, you know, DMRAM was super fast and relatively affordable that we kind of moved uh, over to the volatile model. So still a huge shift. And I, and I think, yeah, how that will impact applications. The, you know, the the Intel, the scalable Xeons and stuff, obviously this is kind of trading blows with what AMD's released mm-hmm. with Epic. I do think it's interesting, one, that they're still holding onto that, you know, the Skylake Xeons. They really can't seem to move on uh from that architecture great to see the specter migrations there the hardware specter migrations cuz we you know we we reported on this a couple of weeks ago that basically the software mitigations it's a mixed bag and nothing really solves the problem completely. We have this in hardware now. I think that's that's a really great step in that direction to kind of peace of mind going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having the 56 cores, again, like I, like I said, it's kind of an academic argument. Yes, they're technically in one socket. They basically do the same thing that AMD does with their Epic, where it's just two processors and one big chip uh, that has a super fast interconnect between the two. It actually reminds me a little bit of what Intel did with their original dual cores back in the day with the Pentium D, where it's basically just two uh, dual cores. Uh, Excuse me, the, uh, the quad cores, their first quad cores, where there's two dual cores stacked together. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if you have the workloads for that, um, it's it's going to be great. I don't think anyone needs, um, you know, the 400 watt TDP uh, that it's going to be, but right. very interesting. Although, long term for viability, right? Optane's cool. Um, I, I think that has some big implications down the road, but Intel as a company, long term, I think the FPGA stuff could be just as huge down the road, right? Cuz their Altera stuff had you know they had new releases but there was nothing that one that Altera hadn't already been working on that had been released. This is kind of the 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 new IP for them and hence why they're changing, you know, the naming uh, nomenclature there. So seeing how that will long term kind of disrupt, hopefully I think Intel hopes disrupts Right, right, what right now is the G, the GPU dominance in the machine learning AI kind of workloads and how that will impact them going forward. I, I think that could be maybe the biggest long term right now. They're not even, sh- you know, they're not shipping them for another quarter or so mm-hmm. or quarter. Or so, you know, who's to say how big the impact is going to be. And if they can ever ship 10 nanometers, you know, we'll see. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, just just huge announcement. And, and uh, if you want any more detail on this, I really recommend uh, techfieldday.com. Uh, like I said, we had our Techfield Day exclusive out there uh, doing live streams. We had Stephen Fosca doing a live blog. Uh, you can check out our show notes for that as well, or just head over to exaltit.com. Uh, lots of good stuff. Uh, and and you know, good to see Intel kind of swinging for the fences. I think you know uh, we are certainly not uh, adverse to piling on Intel for maybe being a little stayed, a little. Um, you know, kind of stuck in a rut uh, as of late on a number of levels, but this shows that, you know, they can still really swing for the fences. They're still a gigantic company with amazing research. And I think this is the fruits of a lot of that.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, more more to the point. Yeah. I thought it was interesting when I saw these high core count Xeons come out. Uh, the, the first thought I had was who is going to be able to fill a rack with these and power and cool it. Maybe the hyperscalers, but just delivering that to Iraq. Uh, is an exercise in engineering that I I can't really begin to tackle myself. So (laughs) so there's a market for those somewhere. I'm not sure who it is yet,
0: but I just want to know if I can run crisis on it. That's, that's all I like
1: You'll need you'll need a GPU as well. Oh, dang it. Maybe you can run it on Google Stadia, but that that was yeah. last week's story.
0: <laughs> does it does that come with the uh, the uh what is it? The uh, Intel uh, uh ultra high definition 620 graphics like I can get my laptop, right? That should, yeah, that should
1: be good Yeah. Sure, uh, I don't see why not.
0: Or even <laughs> better in your MacBook. Yeah, well it'll be interesting. Yeah, I I will also be because those are getting sold directly to OEMs, right? Like you you're never gonna see that on sale anywhere. So it'll be interesting to see how those are bundled into products and and how those are positioned, yeah, going forward. Um, and also like the insane, yeah, you're right, the insane cooling that you're just gonna need liquid nitrogen just pumped right onto that processor. And
1: the power. I mean, you could fit a couple of those in a one U box and you know, theoretically fit forty-two of them in a single rack or maybe a couple less once you put into some switches, but how are you gonna deliver enough power for that?
0: You have your, you know, your nuclear power plant right next door. And I guess so. It's just, it's no problem, Ken. Don't worry about it. It'll be easy just like the Gestalt IT Rundown. Ken, thank you so much uh, for being here today. Where can people find uh, more of, about you and what you're writing uh, on the cyberspace?
1: You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ken Nalbon. and I also write a lot on Gestalt IT. Uh, and be sure to check out Tech Field Day as well. We will be having Cloud Field Day beginning next week, April 10th. Uh, you can watch the live stream on techfieldday.com. You can see me up there introducing a, a lot of exciting new companies and some of our returning friends as well. Uh, then I get out of the way and let the interesting people talk so be sure to check that out
0: (laughs) oh ken don't be don't be modest people are tuning in for you too Uh, and if you want to find more of my stuff you can check out gestaltite.com or find me on twitter at mr anthropology there may be humorous observations about having small children wow that's going to be so interesting but You can also find us every Wednesday here at 1230 p.m. Eastern time coming to you live with the Gestalt IT Rundown. I'm turning up the music now. so That means the show is over. Ken, thank you so much. Uh, We'll be back, like I said, next week. Until then, remember, everybody, have a super sparkly day.